As we've dove into health and trying to understand what should we be eating, shouldn't be eating, the uh, proper human diet coined by Ken Berry is something that I have really grown to appreciate. And having Dr. Berry on the podcast has been an absolute blessing. So enjoy this visit, uh, the first part of two. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a Blue Zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. All right, Dr. Ken Berry, so excited to be visiting with you, my friend. Uh, I actually came across your work after um, my oldest son uh, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And um, so the plant paradox made me start questioning things. And then I ended up getting your book, uh, Lies Doctors Told Me. And that just, Dr. Berry, it was almost too much for me at the time to even be able to comprehend. So if you don't care, how did you get to the point that you even wrote that book? Well, I'm a classically trained medical doctor, family physician, and um, I've always been a bit of an iconoclast, a bit of a rebel. And so a lot of things I was told in medical school, I would be like, how's that even right? I don't even understand how that's right. You know, just country boy, common sense stuff. Like the the one example I remember was, when I was on my obstetrics rotation, we'd deliver babies. We'd be on call for 24 hours. And then the next morning, we would do all the circumcisions. So all you parents out there thinking about having your baby circumcised, realize the doctor doing it hadn't slept in 24 hours. So just saying. Right. Exactly. Uh, but then we'd also, we would discharge the, the moms who had had a, just a routine vaginal delivery. We would discharge them. And so if any of those moms are going to exclusively breastfeed their baby. No formula, just breast milk. We were instructed by our chief resident to, to give the uh, moms a prescription for vitamin D drops to give the babies. And I was like, why do, why do we do that for breastfed babies? He said, well, uh, human mothers don't put any vitamin D in their breast milk. And I was post-call. I was a third, third year medical student, fourth year. And I was like, how does that even make any, we'd be extinct if we didn't, how, where do the babies get vitamin D? You don't put your newborn baby out in the sun, but I was a, I was an underling, right? So I didn't question. I just filed that away. I got to look that up later. And so that's, that was the first lie. I was like, there's no way that's right. turns out that's absolutely untrue. If the mom's getting plenty of vitamin D in her diet and from sunlight, there's more than enough vitamin D in human breast milk. But he, and this is a very intelligent doctor, very intelligent, right? He went on to get double boarded in medicine and pediatrics, very intelligent guy, but he believed that because that's what he was taught. Most of the, my colleagues believe that the kid, the other uh, medical students on the team, they, they like, oh, humans don't make vitamin D in breast milk. Okay, got it. Some of them still believe that, but just my contrarian country ass, I was like, how does that make any sense? 
And so later when I did look it up, turns out that's totally false. And as in the early years of my medical career, there were many other things that I just, my, my country boy bullshit detector be like, what? That can't be right. And so when I had enough of those things built up, I, I did, you know, research each one. I'm like, yeah, that's totally untrue. And so finally, Nisha was like, you should write a book because there's so many of these things. I'm like, that's a good idea. And so I did. And that's where the book came from. The more you dive in, the more questions that seem to to arise. And so early on for me, the big thing that I had, I guess, that cognitive distance with your book was, is that meat was causing cancer, right? That is what I truly believed. I'd read the China study. I knew this for a fact. And uh, I knew that when the oncologists were telling me that, you know, diet and lifestyle and all that stuff, none of that matters. But on the other hand, that meat causes cancer, I, I just it just didn't set well with me. So why did you go from, say, the standard American diet to kind of that keto to even to where carnivore is is what you have been promoting? Yep. I've got T. Collins book right up there. The China study. I've got every book T. Colin Campbell's ever written. I've read them all. Uh, I've read every book by Gregor. I've read every book by Bernard I, because I I'm not trying to persuade or 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 trick i'm not i don't i don't care what uh dietary dogma you believe but i do want to know to the best of my ability which one makes the most sense and so when you take oh eating red meat increases your risk of cancer well right off the bat i, I put every claim through three smell tests number one what's the research that we have available first of all how good is the research and secondly what does it show that's number one. Number two is what's just the common sense of this? And then increasingly over the last seven years, I've been putting it through an, an additional third filter of what does the archaeological evidence show? What does the anthropological evidence show? What does the paleoanthropological evidence show? Those three filters. And so when you, so we're just right off the bat, meat causes cancer or increases your risk of cancer. Well, Guess what the 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 in the paleoanthropological research, guess what food we can prove that human beings have been eating for the longest period of time? Meat. Human beings as a species, Homo sapiens sapiens, have been eating meat for just as long as we've been breathing air. We've been eating meat for just as many days as we've been drinking water. We've been eating meat for just as many days as we've been playing out in the sun with not many clothes on. For every single day of human existence on this planet, we've been eating meat. So right off the bat, if you just look at modern nutrition research, right, then you're like, well, maybe, maybe. But if you're like, well, but wait a minute, we've got tons of research in anthropology, paleoanthropology. That research counts too, right? I would I would opine it counts more because modern nutrition research is a joke. If you don't believe me, you can talk to any physicist, any math uh, mathematician, anybody who does real hard scientific research, engineers, because if if their research doesn't pan out, then a building falls down or a bridge falls down. People die immediately, not oh after 20 or 30 or 40 years they die. You die immediately if the engineers and the physicists and the mathematicians get their research wrong. They all consider modern nutrition research a joke. 
Now, it wasn't always that way. Back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, especially in Germany, nutrition research was, was very useful, very applicable. Guess what they recommended for diabetes? A low-carb diet, uh, carnivore diet. Guess what they recommended for weight loss? A low-carb diet, carnivore diet. But after World War II, understandably, you couldn't really cite a German researcher in the United States, right? That was frowned upon. So you couldn't be bringing up all this huge body of German research that showed definitively if you wanted to reverse type two, you fed them a low carb or a zero carb diet. You couldn't bring up all the German research that showed definitively that if you wanted uh, an obese person to lose weight, you fed them a low carb or a zero carb diet. <clears throat> the Germans had it figured out, but it was obviously very unpopular after a war with Germany to bring up German research. So people, it just felt also it was written in German. A lot of people don't in America don't read or speak German. So therefore it just kind of fell by the wayside. And so when you, then the common sense, okay, every animal on the planet has a species specific diet, right? Cows eat grass, sheep eat grass, deer eat grass and weeds and berries and seeds. Uh, every animal has its own specific diet that it thrives on. That's probably true of humans as well, right? And then when you look at the, the anthropological research, it's like, oh, yeah, as, as often as we could as a species, we ate meat. We ate as much meat as we could get. We always ate the fat. We probably always ate the organs. We ate it all. We cracked open the bones and got the fatty bone marrow out. We cracked open the skull and got the fatty brain out and ate it. All that stuff is provable. That's knowable. But modern nutrition researchers for some reason, don't think it's important to look at anthropological research. They just want to do a study where they compare uh, vegans with uh, omnivores, but even the omnivores are still eating a plant-based diet. So it's basically a study of people eating all plants versus people eating a lot of plants. And then they want to show, oh, look at this big difference in the people eating all plants versus people eating 80% plants. That's, that's obviously just an ignorant study design if you want to do a true study, you're going to do a study. You're going to take twins and say, okay, I'm putting this twin on a vegan diet, and this twin on a carnivore diet, the two extremes. Then let's follow them, not just for eight weeks. Let's follow them for a year, right? And let's see what happens to their, their visceral fat. Let's see what happens to their A1C, their fasting insulin, their inflammatory markers. Because the, the average pe person out there is just like you. When they hear about the, the carnivore diet, it's too much. Like, oh, hell, I'm, that's just, I can't even wrap my head around that, right? But when you actually dig into the, all the research, not just modern nutrition research, you find that human beings have been eating as much fatty meat as they could get their hands on since they've been on this planet. This is not up for debate in, in anthropological circles. They, it literally is settled science. Like, yes, humans have been super carnivores until the big food manufacturers came along and said, oh, you need to eat ground up wheat, rice, oats, corn. You need to use cottonseed oil or canola or soybean oil instead of that, that, that unhealthy animal fat. If you went back in time, even just 300 years, and you tried to, you went into a, a village and you tried to feed those people the standard American diet, you would either be, three things would happen. You would either be killed or you'd be tarred and feathered or you'd be just run out of the village. Like, this guy's obviously insane. What is he even talking about? That shit ain't food. So it, it does, and that's why I also, I, I tell people when they're 
bashing vegans. I'm like, leave them alone. Going vegan is the first step to coming to understand a proper human diet because at least they're thinking about food. At least they're thinking, well, you know, I bet it's important what I eat and what I avoid. That's a huge first step. That that makes my heart happy when somebody on Twitter says, I've gone vegan. I'm doing, I'm going vegan because I know that they're thinking about food. That's good. They're going to be reading more and studying more about food, right? They're also going to be listening to their body's feedback. Many people, when they stop eating the standard American diet of ding-dongs and Doritos and Pepsi and start eating a whole food plant-based diet, they feel better for a while. Yeah, 100%. Yes, it's less inflammatory. But unless they're taking 10 or 12 supplements a day, it's only going to be a few months or a year or two before they start to develop severe vitamin and mineral amino acid fatty acid deficiencies. But there's, remember, they're still thinking about food and they're still researching and thinking and studying and reading articles about food. It's only a matter of time before they're going to be like, why do I got to take a B12 supplement and an iodine supplement and an omega-3 fatty acid supplement and, a, and, a, and creatine? And why am I having to take all this stuff? These, and then they're going to see keto at some point. They're going to see carnivore. They'll be like, well, this Sean Baker guy, he's 57 years old. He, look, he looks like a monster. He didn't take any supplements. How's that possible? I thought if you ate just a meat and egg diet, you'd develop a ton of deficiencies. But he's not having to take any supplements. How's that possible? He didn't have scurvy. He didn't have vitamin A deficiency. He didn't have anything. Nothing's wrong with him. He posts his labs online for everybody to look at. How? And so you see my point. When somebody goes vegan, I applaud. I'm like, huzzah, good, good, because you'll be back around. In a few years, you'll be you'll be watching my YouTube videos, and that's that's totally fine. I love that. I really love how you've taken the anthropology to go along with the medical experience, and then even the the regenerative agriculture. How how you've you've brought that into, especially uh, more lately, where you you went well, a little bit with the sunlight. I'm, I'm curious as to your take with that. Cause as I've talked to, uh, you know, my buddy, uh, Dr. Max Gohane down in Australia, he's been really big on the regenerative and then the sunlight and, and trying to help me understand this circadian aspect. What, what have you seen with that? Because it's not something that I really see a lot talked about in the carnivore space is the sunlight. Yep. And then of course, you know, you get you get Dr. Jack Cruz in there and then he he kind of rubs some people the wrong way. And, and that, unfortunately, can be a problem. So what's what's your take with that? Well, first of all, let me say very clearly. Sunlight exposure does not increase your risk of cancer. The end. The, it, it, and so many dermatologists will argue with that. But uh, there's one simple rhetorical thing that I want everybody to say, if, if their doctor says, oh, you got to use sunscreen and stay out of the sun, the sun causes cancer. You're going to say, doctor, I appreciate, you know, you helping me. Could you please have one of your helpers print me out the research that proves that? And that goes for every claim that a doctor might make. You're within your rights as a patient to say, that's interesting. Would you have your nurse or somebody, I know you're busy, just when they get a chance, email me the, the research that proves that. I'd love to read it. And then just sit back and smile and wait because there is no research. The research that the dermatologists determined that, that sun exposure causes cancer 
was done on donated human foreskin. So remember earlier I was talking about being post-call doing circumcisions. They actually collected the skin, the foreskin off these babies. I don't think it was the ones I circumcised, but others. And so that's, first of all, that's dead human tissue. That's not even living tissue. And then they would expose those cells to ultraviolet, and in many cases, 10 times the amount that you would get from sun exposure. And they looked for chemical changes in this dead human flesh. And then based on that, they said, well, yeah, see there, sun causes cancer. You need to use SPF 400. Literally, there's not a, a, a study in living humans with their skin still attached that shows that sun exposure increases your risk of cancer. It doesn't exist. There is no study. But yet so many, I guarantee you, if you're your listeners just now when I said that went, what? what? Did you hear what he just said? Yeah. There's all these myths, which I call lies, that we believe because either our mama told us, our grandmama told us, our doctor Whoever, somebody we trusted said it, and it's just like you opened the gate and stuck it in your unconscious. Boom, that's that's the truth. No need to discuss it anymore. There is no research that proves that, first of all. Second of all, what about the common sense? How long have humans been playing in the sun? Uh, usually partially clothed or naked. Our entire existence on this planet. Therefore, does it make any common sense whatsoever? That, that that drinking water causes cancer. No, that's dumb. Breathing air causes cancer. No, that's dumb. Eating meat, no, that's dumb. We've been doing it just as long as we've been breathing air and drinking water. Playing in the sun, no, that's dumb. We've been doing all four of those things for the same exact amount of time, which is every single day humans have existed on planet Earth. None of those things, it's not even possible that they cause cancer or we would be extinct as a species. We would have died out eons ago. Those things don't cause cancer. I think sun exposure is good for you. We know for a fact that when you're exposed to sunlight, your body takes cholesterol, which is also not bad for you. It uses cholesterol to make vitamin D. It also uh, turns nitrates into nitric oxide. You know, nitrates and bacon, also not bad for you. It turns those into nitric oxide, which lowers your blood pressure and is good for you. Then I guarantee you there's multiple other things that sun exposure does that's good for us that we haven't even discovered yet. Because back in when, when the pharmaceutical revolution came along, everybody stopped trying to think with common sense. They were just doing research saying, can I get a FDA approved patent on something? Right. And come up with a new drug, a new lotion, a new cream, a new injection, a new infusion. That's all any scientist was interested in. Because that's how you got tenure. That's how you got research money. And that's how you made a million bucks. So everybody stopped researching natural stuff because that was frowned upon. Also, you it wouldn't get approved. You wouldn't get any money for it because your research institution wants you to research things that are going to end in a patent. A.K.A. a moneymaker. So nobody Money. cares what else sunlight does that's good for you. Who's going to fund that? The sun, <laughs> the sun doesn't have a lobbyist in Congress, right? The sun, there's no oh. kickback you can get from the sun. It just is what it is. And so, yeah, the sun is good for you. Uh, we take uh, almost every morning, even in the winter, I take uh, Beckett, who's four and a half, and Bonnie, who's 16, 17 months. We go outside on the front porch barefoot. 
in the morning sunlight. This morning it was 30. We're out there and just for a few minutes, just to get that morning sun on our face. That sets your circadian rhythm, sets your diurnal clock. Nobody gets sick in my house. We're out there barefooted with our shirts off in the in the winter sun. Nobody's getting sick from that. Okay. They're actually it's making them healthier, making them more resilient, making them stronger. And we do that almost every morning. If not, go outside. We sit right here in the in the direct sunlight through the window. Because it's good for you. It's not bad for you. I am so glad you said that. And uh that it reminds me. So I have four kids, 10 uh, to three, and that I make them do that every morning. We go out on the back porch, watch the sunrise. It was bad cold this morning. It was in the 20s here in Arkansas. And that, it, again, I think it's a topic that is so important that I just don't hear enough in the space talk about. So I am so happy that you, you talk about that uh, and, and you said that here. Another aspect, you go back to uh, – the German scientists, uh, you know, Otto Warburg is going to be the, the, you know, the father or the grandfather of, of what's going on with the metabolic approach to cancer. Yep. So where have you seen the keto or even carnivore being implemented, especially with success in, uh, in approach to cancer? Well, there's actually several studies going on right now using a therapeutic ketogenic diet to combat different forms of cancer. Uh, Dr. David Dave Harper is doing a study right now about glioblastoma. Using a therapeutic ketogenic diet, very, very high fat, very, very low carb ketogenic diet, effectively high fat carnivores, what it's gonna turn out to be, right? Because if you lower the carb intake enough, it's just meat and eggs, you're left with eating. And so uh, there's multiple different neurological conditions there. If you just go to clinicaltrials.gov, everybody doing real research, they, they register their, their study. Even before the study begins, they register it there. And they say, hey, this is what our hypothesis is. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do the study. So anybody can go to clinicaltrials.gov and just type in, in the search bar, type in keto and hit return. And it'll tell you every single study being done all over the world, looking at a ketogenic diet for neurological conditions, for cancer, obviously for fatty liver, type 2 diabetes, obesity. All these things are being researched, but researchers don't talk about their study until it's finished and published, right? And so nobody knows that all this research is going on. And so a lot of people think, oh, keto is just a fad. It's dying out now. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Every every week you're going to see a new research study come being, coming out if the mainstream media will cover it, saying, oh, it, keto lowers your risk of dying from glioblastoma. It helps, it helps with uh, oncology treatments. If you're keto, if you're doing intermittent fasting while you're getting your chemo and radiation, it actually increases your odds of survival. Now, I predict that, that there's going to be hundreds of studies over the next five years showing that to be definitively true. It only makes physiological sense. And a lot of people who don't understand the physiology, they don't, they don't, they're not a doctor. They don't understand human nutrition. They, they feel like that when I say stuff, I think that keto is magic or carnivore is magic. It's not magic. It's physiology. The physiology is known. And when you go back to the roots of physiology and anthropology, and look at meaningful nutrition research, it becomes clear that a low-carb, high-fat diet is, that is the diet that the human body 
loves best, performs on best, heals, heals on best. That's the that, that is that's it. That's the way. Keto carnivore is the way. So uh, as I was prepping uh, for, you know, the interview with you, I had gone back and I came across the, your interview with Dr. Harper. And so he's actually going to be on tomorrow. And I'm very, very excited to kind of take that cancer keto deep dive. I know when Lander was undergoing chemo, so he was five uh, when he was getting treatments, he was always fasting. And that was because I had heard Dave Asprey talk about uh, insulin potentiated chemotherapy. And I, I did not understand really anything, to be honest, at that time. Sure. But I know that as, as we were going through that, the severity of what he experienced, my son, versus some of these other babies was night and day. Yep. And it just, it just breaks my heart and it fuels the passion for getting these messages out there. So, uh, you know, just thank you. I want to put that in there. Thank you for your work because I wouldn't have came across Dr. Harper yep. if I wasn't prepping uh, for, for your, your uh, uh, interview. And that's but what researchers else, keep I, seeing that. Oh, they keep seeing that over and over, Logan, is that not only do the do the uh, cancer patients survive better, they beat cancer more often, but the radiation side effects, the chemo side effects especially, are less severe if you're eating a high-fat, low-carb diet and you're implementing some degree of intermittent fasting. It just it doesn't suck as bad to go through cancer treatment. It's, you know, it's horrible all the way around. And, and it just uh, a message that we have to get out there is because there's no, it, it's bad enough. The situation's bad enough to not know or at least be aware. And everybody needs to make that decision for themselves. If they want to do a keto approach as they're going through uh, cancer treatments, then they should just know that there is a lot to support that. A, another aspect of carnivore that I've gotten really excited, but I don't quite understand, is in talking with uh, Dr. Laszlo Boris, uh, he's brought up a lot of the deuterium aspects. And trying yep. to understand hydrogen and deuterium and, and the metabolic approach to this, <clears throat> what Dr. Boros says very much supports carnivore like yep. to a very high degree, but yep. deuterium is so hard to grasp, I don't think it's popular. So what, what is your take and how do you rationalize that? So I, let me be the first to admit that all of the therapeutic benefits that we see with a ketogenic diet, a ketovore diet or a carnivore diet, could all the benefits could be just from the deuterium depletion that occurs when you're eating that type of diet. That is, I, I've been studying deuterium depletion for several years. There's the research, nobody wants to research it. And I'm not sure why. Nobody. Uh, I've read I, everything Laszlo's written. I've, I've watched every video he's been on. Nobody has any interest in this. But I, I you know, I, I had a, a minor in biochemistry in undergrad. Like, you know, in order to be a good doctor, you have to understand physiology and biochemistry and a little bit of cell molecular biology. But when he's talking about deuterium, you're actually going back to the, to the atomic level. And everybody, everybody assumes that all the research on that is done, that that's all settled science. There's no reason to go back and look at atoms. We figured that out a long time ago. But if he turns out to be right, it, that would explain all the benefits of keto, ketovore, and carnivore is the deuterium depletion because the more meat you eat, the less plants, the more fat you eat, the less carbs, the lower your body's level of deuterium is going to be. And his contention, his hypothesis is, is that that's where all the benefits come from. 
Now, I'm not a fan of people spending money on deuterium depleted water. If you eat, if you eat real whole food keto, ketoable carnivore, you're going to lower your deuterium big time, especially if you're carnivore. You're going to lower it big time. So don't waste your money on the deuterium depleted water. Just eat, eat, eat a diet that's going to deplete it because it's going to wind up being a carnivore diet. Right now, I don't know if that's where all the benefits come from. It's a hypothesis, but and and literally nobody on the uh, atomic level wants to research this for some reason. And so the research supporting deuterium depletion is not robust right now. There's just not a lot of research, which is very sad because I think it's a it'd be a great place for a young physicist or somebody to really make their name to go back in, because every now and then we'll see this like the fourth fourth state of water. Just a, a few decades ago, we thought there's only three phases of water. Well, there's a fourth phase, but nobody knew until some little young buck said, you know, I, this is weird. I'm going to look into this. Boom. All of a sudden, something that was considered completely settled. You're just wasting your career if you research this. He, boom. He, he's, he's discovered something nobody knew. And I think that that same kind of... Um, harvest is waiting for somebody if they go back and 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 start to really research deuterium and, and the depletion of it in the human body but that could be also total bunk we don't know it's just a hypothesis but it it makes a lot of sense to me uh so so whether it's from the deuterium depletion or whether it's from the low carb anti-inflammatory uh high nutrient density i don't know but also i really don't care i just want people to to realize their best health I want them to be virile, vigorous, and potent, and I want I want I want the men out there to be muscular and quick and a little bit dangerous if they need to be. I want the women to be healthy and fertile and sexy, and also a little dangerous if they need to be. I want that's I want us to be humans again. I want us to to not be ashamed of our species. I want us to be proud of what we are, and I want us to try to optimize every part of our humanity, both physically and mentally. And to do that, you've got to eat a proper human diet or you're going to suffer to the degree with which you don't eat a proper human diet and live a proper human life. Thank you for joining us on Sewing Prosperity. Be sure to follow along across the social media platforms, including YouTube, and be sure to go to sewingprosperity.com.